Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is January the 25th, 2022. Um, and as always, I'm talking to you from San Francisco on the west coast of the United States. Um, more than 70 years ago, George Orwell wrote uh, his, his wonderful essay, Politics in the English Language, uh, back in 1946. He wrote, most people who bother with the matter at all would admit that the English language is in a bad way. Uh, but it is generally assumed that we cannot, by conscious action, do anything about it. Our civilization is decadent and our language, so the argument runs, must inevitably share in the general collapse. I wonder what Orwell would think of our current language wars. I got involved in one uh, last week. I had Peter S. Goodman, the New York Times economics correspondent on the show. He has a new book out on Davos. Um, and I referred in, in his book to the Chinese president who happened to be speaking on that day uh, at Davos as the butcher of Beijing. Um, I was referring in particular to another guest I had last year, Amelia Pang, uh, the Yugar Chinese journalist who's written a wonderfully um, troubling book. I wouldn't say wonderfully, a, a troublingly troubling book on Chinese slave labor camps. Uh, and then the next day, I had the Malaysian-based analyst, Chandra Nair, on the show. He has a new book out, Dismantling Global White Privilege. And I asked him uh, whether um, my use of the word butcher to refer to the Chinese leader was a manifestation of global white privilege. And he said it was, which troubled me because... I don't really think, I'm many things, but I'm not sure I'm a manifester in linguistic terms of global white privilege, but we live in the age of language wars where everyone seems to be accusing everyone else uh, of linguistic crimes. The atom bomb, of course, of words when it comes to slurs is the N-word. Um, and my guest today on the show wrote a book called Nigger, The Troubling Career of a Troublesome Word. 20 years ago. Um, the book is reappearing now because it's equally relevant in 2022 as it was in 2002. And I'm thrilled that uh, Randall Kenley, very distinguished professor of law at Harvard University, as well as a prolific author, he was on the show last year talking about uh, another book, um, is coming into us from his home in Dedham, Massachusetts. So, Randall, welcome back to the show. Great to see you again. Thank you very much. Uh, is it the, and, and you use this term, the atom bomb of, uh, of, of linguistic slurs. Why is it? Uh, why is the, the N-word the word of words when it comes to insulting people? Well, historically, it's just a, a slur that has... Um, been more consequential than any other. I mean, it's the it it's it's the slur that has created slurs. So people talk about, you know, the Irish as the niggers of 
Europe. Yeah, or, and, uh, Wikipedia has references to uh, what they call white nigger, uh, Italian American, yeah. French Canadians, Irish immigrants. So it's used not only to uh, insult black people, but many others as well. That's right. It's it, and it, if you just take a look at. Um, well, for me, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I mean, the, the way I got into this was the use of this word in legal controversies. And what I did was I, I, create, I, went to, um, I went to various sites to get a read on how different slurs were being used or being cited, being referred to in court cases. And, you know, murders, arson, kidnapping, what have you. Um, uh, employment discrimination disputes. And this term, the infamous N-word, was just so much more prevalent than any other slur. I mean, none came even close to the prevalence of this word in legal controversies. And, uh, you know, this, this term is known the world over. And this term is still a part of the backdrop to many of the worst instances of racial atrocity in American life. So it's those are some of the reasons why this word stands out amongst slurs. Talk to me a little bit about, I, I love the subtitle of the book, The Strange Career of a Troublesome Word. I never thought of words having careers, but um, mm. I, I like the way you put it. Uh, the book originally came out in 2002, so it's been out 20 years now. What's been the career of this book? Why, why, uh, why is it being republished? And what's different about 2022 when it comes to the N-word as 2002? Well, I mean, I've, I've written several books, but no book I've written has had the career of this one. Th this book has taken me to many places. Um, it has prompted calls from lawyers, so I've I've participated as a expert witness in assault trials, murder trials, um, employment discrimination disputes, uh, 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 collective bargaining, uh, arbitrations. Uh, this word has um, there's some people who will forever hate me because of this word. So I, you know, I constantly get uh, letters and emails with people who, from people who are just appalled that I would have written a book and given it this title. Um, Do you think you could have written it if you'd have been white? Well, I mean, I, I could have written it. It would have had a different valence. But if, it would if have been... the book was identical, but you happen to be white. I guess it, it would be. It would have been a different book. It well, it was. So, for instance, when I was uh, bef before, I actually before the book was published twenty years ago, I gave a lecture at a law school 
um, about the way in which the N-word is embroiled in legal controversies. And I noticed that when they put up the advertisement for the lecture, and the N-word was, nigger was in the title of my lecture, the people ha uh, had my photograph on the advertisement. Now, I didn't ask anybody about this, but I feel pretty confident that they had my photograph up there for a reason. And I think that the reason was that they wanted to indicate to the, you know, to the, to the community that this was a lecture on this word that was being offered by a black American. And I, I suspect that they thought that it was important to convey that piece of information because maybe that piece of information would forestall an even stronger um, protest than the one that they got. They got a protest. I mean, all the, all, all the posters were torn down, for instance. But I think uh, that I they think thought... They, they were torn down by... Um students who objected to the use of the n-word not objected yes. to you speaking yes they were torn down by people who you know who who objected was to the what, whole what idea. Was that, um Randall? this was this was the this was the year before the book was published so this was about 21 years ago but oh, so by the way so, so some things haven't changed is there um uh, uh mcwater's woke racism came out very controversial book uh, last year has been a, a huge public debate within yeah. uh, the African-American community uh, as well as outside it about race and racism and language. What's changed between 2002 and 2022? I don't think much has changed. Um, I think that some of the, you know, I think that there's been maybe some digging in of heels. But, you know, 20 years ago, there were people who objected very strenuously. Uh, so for instance, and not, not, by the way, not just in the United States, but abroad, um, the book did not get a publisher in England. There was a publisher that was thinking about bringing out the book and then a member of a member of parliament actually took out after this and just you know just said this would be horrific and that, that was the that was the end of that um so i, I you know I, I think that some of the some people 20 years ago said you know it, it's we shouldn't have a book in a bookstore with this title um you know, and there are people today who, you know, take the same position. How long have you been teaching, Randall, at Harvard? You've been there a long time, right? I, don't want I to, have been there a long time. I don't want, I've been I, I don't want to reveal your age, but... Um, you, I don't mind. I, no, I was born in 1954. I'm 67 years old. I started at Harvard Law School in the summer of 1984. So that's, that's, that's where I've been. That's been my institutional home. It's yeah, been a I good institution. And the reason I bring it up is because you've had a front seat on a lot of these debates. Derek Bell, of course, was a mm -hmm. controversial faculty member there. 
do you think of yourself as a conservative when it comes to this stuff? Not at all. I mean, in the in the American political spectrum, you know, you'd have to put me way over to the left. I mean, I'm I'm a person who believes that uh, there's tremendous injustice in American society, and I would like to see reforms to redress those injustices. The publications for which I write most often are publications on the left, The Nation, The American Prospect, Dissent Magazine. Um, there are some people who, you know, type me as conservative, but frankly, I think that's, you know, ridiculous. Um, I'm a person on the left, and I'm a person who believes in uh, freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of listening. I want openness. I'm a pluralist. I have friends of all sorts of ideological persuasions, people with whom I argue very strongly, but I definitely believe in openness. And with respect to this issue that we're talking about, one of the things that angers some of my friends on the left is I, I definitely am against any sort of racial boundary making, boundary keeping in the realm of culture. So you asked me a few minutes ago, just suppose I was white. I would not mind a white person writing about the term nigger. That does not bother me at all. In fact, it does not bother me I don't care where somebody comes from, what their racial status is. Um, the realm of culture should be open to all. You, um, uh, we, as I said, you were on the show uh, last year, wonderful uh, new book of essays, uh, Say It Loud on Race, Law, History and Culture. Uh, the New York Times' review, which was very strong, uh, suggested that you demand thinking over feeling. When it comes to the N-word, though, is it possible to do that? Uh, just after I had you on the show, I had the African-American thinker Maisha Cherry on the show, who has a new book out called The Case for Rage. And she begins her book, like so many books of this type, with a description of when she was uh, when the N-word was first used against her. How do we maintain thinking over feeling when it comes to the N-word, particularly the victims of it? It's very hard to keep rational and reasonable if someone's hurtling the word, that atomic bomb at you, isn't it? couple of things. First of all, um, I think that our feelings are amenable to management and change. Just, you know, just because somebody says that they feel a certain way, okay, fine, they feel a certain way. Does that mean it's good? I mean, you know, I mean, I've been called nigger. I've been on the receiving end of the slur about which I'm writing. Now, I'm on the receiving end does that mean that I should be able to kill the person who throws this word at me? Am I, am I subject 
to, you know, any sort of rules and regulations because of my feeling? The answer should be yes. We should control, we should subject our feelings uh, to question and change our feelings if need be. One of the things I really, I, I, I feel really sorry actually for people who have said that um, when they've been called this word, it has traumatized them and to, to, to the extent that they haven't been able to, you know, um, go on with their work. Uh, there are numbers of students who have said that they want teachers to avoid using this word in any context. Right, and that was the, uh, you, you were very critical of the, uh, the professor who, who, who used the N-word um, in reference to a James Baldwin book, who I think got suspended, so. I mean, imagine the, 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 the student, somebody's, so a teacher is reading from James Baldwin the teacher uses the words of James Baldwin, nigger being one of those words. A student then says, this, this so discombobulated me that I couldn't think. Well, hold it. You know, as far as I'm concerned, a teacher should say, you know, hey, let's be really careful here. You don't want to be in a position where somebody's you you hear a word and you can't think that is make you that is something that you need to work on i mean would i want to hire a lawyer who was so discombobulated by this word that the lawyer couldn't think no i don't want that i want somebody to be to have control over themselves i want somebody to be able to manage themselves so that, frankly, they can hear any slur, understand it for what it is, and proceed. I also want somebody who can recognize that words can have many different meanings. A word can be a slur, true. A word can also be a term of endearment, the same word. The same word can be put to comedic uses, yeah, satirical okay. uses. Pryor, that nigga's crazy, right? Absolutely. One of the great, one of the great comedy albums of all time. Or for that matter, Dick Gregory's memoir. What was the name of Dick Gregory's first memoir? Nigger. He wasn't using this to put down black people. He was using this word as an anti-racist device. So I want people to, you know, I don't want people to be subject to a term that puts them on their knees. I want people to have their wits about them and to be able to recognize the complexity of language and to be able to operate even in the shadow of words that are used to try to make them feel bad. Randall, let me re revise the question then I, I asked about 20, 
2002 versus 2022. You've been teaching at Harvard Law School for a long time, so you have a lot of experience with students. Do you think that the kind of kids coming to Harvard Law School in 2022, are they more sensitive about language than the ones who came in 2002? Is, is language, and particularly words like the N-word, are they more... Um, uh, are they more inflammable? Are they more dangerous and controversial in 2022 as they were in 2002? Have, have the kind of kids coming now out of liberal arts college, have they become obsessed, inflamed with language? Um, I think some have. And frankly, as far as from, from my experience, one of the differences is that in those in that twenty year period, uh, students have been taught certain scripts. I mean, you know, they so twenty years these students they you know they go to elementary school, they go to secondary school, they go to college, and they're taught certain things, and they take their te- they take you know there's teachers and there's teaching seriously, and. Uh, a good many students have been taught, for instance, that uh, they should feel traumatized upon hearing the N word. Well, if you're teaching taught them this, this, Randall, is it uh, oh, well-meaning well liberals? Yes, yes, alas, uh, people. Have, are 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 feeding students a script that, in my view, is deeply counterproductive. They think that these scripts are anti-racist scripts. In my view, these scripts are infantilizing. I say to my I say to students, especially my progressive activist students, I say, listen. Let's take a look at the greatest student activists in the history of the United States. Let's take a look at the activists who created the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Let's take a look at activists like the great John Lewis. And let's take a look at what they did, how they thought. John Lewis didn't fall apart because people, because, you know, he heard the N-word. Are you kidding? That was the least of it for him. He was strong. And, and I tell the activist students, you've got to be strong. Cut out this trauma talk. Cut out this talk of, you know, somebody says a word and you fall apart. We, we, no, you can't be a strong, you can't change the world. You can't be a strong activist and change the world with that type of attitude. You've got to be tougher than that. And you've got to be more understanding than that. So I think one thing that's, un, it's a very unfortunate thing, but I think in the past 20 years, Yes, students have been fed certain lines, certain scripts that they have embraced. Uh, or, or here's one, another one. Um, you know, uh, 
certain people cannot talk about certain things. So, Professor Kennedy, it's okay if for you to talk about the N-word, but it's not okay at all for your white colleague to talk about the N-word. What I say back to students is, um, I reject your effort to privilege me, because frankly, I don't see it as a privilege. I see it as an attack on the, um, the rules that should govern our culture. And one of those rules should be culture is open to everyone. Just suppose someone said to me, uh, let's suppose I, I, I developed a tremendous interest in, you know, I don't know, medieval, medieval Europe. And somebody said to me, well, Kennedy, you know, you're, you're a modern black American. You, you know, we're, we, you can't expect to be an expert about medieval Europe. I'd say, no, what are you talking about? You can't, you, you can't use my status to cabin me. Just suppose I'm, I'm a man. Just suppose I said I want to devote I want to devote the next twenty years of my life to learning all there is to know about you know women in a certain time in a certain place. You're going to say because I'm a man, uh, I should be debar I should be barred from that sort of exploration. Terrible. No, culture is open to everyone. Talking of women, Randall. Uh... And, and the N-word, uh, Lennon and, and Ono uh, did a song, uh, Woman is the Nigger of the World from yeah. 1972. <laughs> and a lot, um, of people a lot of people objected to that. A what do you think on that? Is, is I think fine. To it? Yes, absolutely. People have, you know, what was she trying to do? She was trying to use the... Um, the oppression of black people as, you know, through the prism of this word, she was trying to use the oppression of black people as a way of bringing attention to the oppression of women. And she was trying to flip the, you know, this word. And as far as I'm concerned, fine. I have no objection to that. You mentioned that the N word is the is the uh, atomic bomb. What about the Y word, uh, Yid? Um, Jews and blacks have a lot in common, certainly in terms of the history of their persecution. Yep. I bring it up because I'm a Yid, and I'm also a fan of a North London soccer club called Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, and we have appropriated the Y word as a uh, in the way in which I think people like Richard Pryor use the N-word um, mm -hmm. in, a, in, a, in a comic, polemical way, because teams of other clubs um, have used the Y-word against us. And a recent dictionary um, uh, included of the Y-word included our fans. Some people have been very critical of this. Um, do you think that the Y-word and the N-word are in some ways similar and have been used similarly historically and that uh, 
Jews have as much right to satirize the Y word as, as, as African-Americans have to, to satirize and polemicize the N word? The answer, yes. A good book could be written on the um, repurposing of words. There are a whole slew of words that were initially used as, uh, you know, as, 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 as put-downs, as slurs, and the targets of the put-down grabbed the word or grabbed the term, applied it to themselves, you know, with, with honor. So, you know, Yankee. Yankee was, you know, Yankee was, that was, that was used against the Yankees. Well, the Yankees took that up. This has been, we've, we've seen this over and over and over again with all sorts of terms in which people have used these words as boomerangs. You throw the word at somebody intending to put them down. They catch the word. They say, we're going to repurpose it. We're going to make it our word. And instead of running from it, we're going to pin it. We're going to pin it on ourselves as a badge of honor. Oh, there are lots of examples of that. And do I have a, do I have a problem with that? No, I don't have a problem with that. Words then have power. Uh, you're the subtitle of your book, um, uh, the 20-year anniversary, the strange career of a troublesome word. There are lots of troublesome words. We began, uh, Randall, with a reference to George Orwell, his wonderful politics in the English mm -hmm. language, in which he talked about the linguistic wars of the post-Second World War age. Are we living in a similarly linguistically troublesome age? I had uh, Margaret Atwood on the show recently. Of course, uh, she's a, a wonderful dystopian writer. She warns us about one kind of dystopia or another. She thinks that her handmaid's tale when it comes to language, or she told me, is particularly relevant today. Um, is there something about 2022 which is troublingly Orwellian? Absolutely. I mean, uh, George Orwell was all too prescient. So, you know, facts and um, denialism, uh, people simply denying fact, people denying history, people um, giving themselves over to various sorts of big brother I had a friend, it's interesting that you mentioned Orwell, I had a friend who just who sent me an email yesterday talking about how he, he, it, was a, it was a headline in a, in a British newspaper about how in some school over in England, uh, before the teacher, the, the, um, George Orwell's 1984 was the text and the teacher made a big deal of saying, well, we're about to read, you know, George Orwell's 1984, and I just want to give a trigger warning. I want to give a trigger warning that there's going to be, you know, some uh, disturbing stuff in this book. Well, I thought this is, you know, this is par this is really paradoxical. Um, 
you know, uh, you would think that people of an age in which reading 1984 would be appropriate would not need this gesture, the trigger warning gesture. And it's become, you know, it's become a, a routine gesture now. Um, and I think it's, you know, part and parcel of a type of infantilization that does not speak well of our institutions of education. We also have, of course, in terms of the absurdity of language, um, we have the rise of a new kind or perhaps a new old kind of right-wing racism captured mm -hmm. in, the, in the spirit, if that's the right word, of the presidency of Donald J. Trump. Um, we had a, and there's a new book out about him, a historical evaluation of Trump. Trump famously said, Randall, that he could stand on Fifth Avenue mm -hmm. and kill someone and get away with it. The one word, though, I don't think he ever used was the N-word. Do you think if he had come out explicitly referring to someone, perhaps yourself, using the N-word, he could have got away with it? I say this with a heavy heart. The answer is yes. You know, there was a controversy during his administration. There were people who said that, you know, he had used the N-word and, you know, he, he, he denied it. Um... But the fact of the matter is, you know, it, it, it didn't even cause a big stir. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it was it was it was a, a, a day long controversy and it wasn't much of a controversy. And frankly, I think that many people believed, well, you know, given his history, given, you know, given what we know that he has said, given what we've heard him say in other contexts, it's completely plausible. It's not like he went, you know, it's not like he had a big speech and said, oh, no, 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 of course not. I didn't say this. No, he sort of said offhandedly, no, nah, I didn't say it. But, you know, there were a lot of people who believed, you know, he probably did. I'm sure and he did Frank, it privately all the time. Yeah, and if, and if he did, I think that there were a lot of followers of his who would have, you know, shrugged and said, well, you know. Is there a connection? You know how he is. You know how he is. And, and of course, yeah. that's part that's part of the tragedy of recent American history, this lowering of expectation and this lowering of, you know, basic, you know, moral hygiene. But, but Randall, is there a connection between these two parallel things? The fact that someone like Trump could get away with using, probably get away with using the N-word, and the hypersensitivity amongst progressives of language, are they parallel things or are they connected? Um, I think that they are connected. I think that actually they, these things feed one another, alas. So, you know, in some sectors of the right wing, there is a keen uh, attentiveness to what bothers the left, 
Yeah. And I think some, you know, some, some, some people on the right, they really, you know, they take delight. Yeah, they know which buttons to press, which linguistic Absolutely. Buttons. And they're very good at Absolutely. it. Some of them are very good at it. They know what buttons to press. And there's another thing going on as well. Not only do they know what buttons to press to put some people on the left in, you know, distress, but they also know that if they press this button, they may very well prompt people on the left to say and do things that will alienate people who are, you know, somewhere in the middle there. So they can fetishize things that they call, you know, critical race theory or something like that. Yeah, well, they can, they can, they can prompt people on the left to become coercive and to engage in a type of, um, you know, uh, angry, uh, you know, sort of shout down folks and you can't say this. And if you say this, this shows right. this about you. I think that, I think that the right wing has done a very effective job in the cultural struggles of making people on the left seem like, uh, you know, um, um, scolds, you know, you can't take a joke, can't, can't understand satire. Uh, you know, you're just... They're very similar, of course, to what the world that Orwell was writing about back in 1946 in his uh, wonderful essay, Politics in the English Language. Uh, Randall, you certainly don't fall into that trap. Your old new book, A Nigger, The Strange Career of a Troublesome Word, um, has been came out 20 years ago, has a new introduction by the author. So uh, congratulations on that. In these strange linguistic times, in these Orwellian times, in addition to 1984 and perhaps the, the Handmaid's Tale, Randall, what else should people be reading? I'm reading a wonderful book right now. One of the best history books I've read in a long time. It's by a guy named Thomas A. Guglielmo. It's a book with the following title, Divisions, A New History of Racism and Resistance in America's World War II Military. Wow. It's a big book. It's a dense book. It's a wonderful, well, wave it, wonderful Wave it at the screen so we see how big it is. It's, it's, this is it. It's well, a big book, Oxford show. University you know Press. Very good. Another book I would, I would recommend to people, it hasn't been published yet, but it's going to come out very soon. It's a book called What It Took to Win. It's another history book. It's by the historian Michael Kazin, K-A-Z-I-N, and it's a history of the Democratic Party in the United States. Very fine book. Yeah, Kazin is actually, um, he, um, he, he contributed to this, uh, this anthology, and he's actually ah. come on the show and, and talk about the book. Well, uh, Randall Kennedy, real honor, as always, uh, you're not shy and you will have um, generated a lot of controversy as you have with uh, the reappearance of your, your book, Nigger, The Strange Career of a Troublesome Word. Um, keep 
troubling people, Randall. We need you. Keep well, and we'll talk again in the not-too-distant future. Thank you so much. Thank you. Be well.